This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's be real. Dealing with tangled cords can make it harder to do your hair. Break free with the new Unbound Cordless Auto Curler from Conair. Get the curls and waves you want, anytime, anywhere. It's designed to let you experience the power and freedom of beauty in motion. No cords to hold you back. You get your curls and waves your way. Unplug and be unbound. Loose curls, tight curls, beachy waves. The Unbound Cordless Auto Curler makes it easy to get the looks you love. Love your look. Live Unbound. Available at conair.com and search Unbound. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and as always, we'll run through the Bundesliga match day results. So, the international break is over, and we went into it on Friday night, seeing Hoffenheim beat Leverkusen 4-1, that's right, 4-1. Into Saturday, Fortuna Dusseldorf 3, Borussia Mönchengladbach 1, Nuremberg 3, Augsburg 0, Werner Bremen 3, Mainz won, Freiburg won, Bayern won. That's right, That that's not a typo. 1-1. One, one. Borussia Dortmund, yep, they managed to extend their lead at the top of the table. 2-0 win over Wolfsburg. Late kickoff game scene, RB Leipzig, absolutely real road. Hertha Berlin 5-0. And to Sunday, Hanover 0, Schalke won. And Eintracht Frankfurt beats Stuttgart 3-0. So, joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how was your break? It was very nice, Bryce, thanks. I did absolutely nothing, um, apart from just some personal stuff. So, a bit of car stuff, a bit of house, went to the gym, um, just enjoyed having no football for two weeks, um, which might sound weird, but when you're covering games intensely, it's nice to have a break now and again. Um, but I was ready to come back this weekend, and we've had a wonderful match day to welcome us back. Yeah, we certainly have, haven't we? And yeah, I can understand that they enjoyed the break. But And we will start by talking a little bit um, about that international break in Germany, of course. Uh, but joining uh, Chris and I is our very own Mississippi Queen, Manu Vets. Manu, how are you? I'm great. Um, I'm actually at the Mississippi. I guess that's uh, what you're alluding to. I'm not sure about the Queen, though. I think you have to explain <laughs> that one. Yeah, I mean, I there, there's a song, you know, so I didn't know what else to say. There you go. Clever man, clever. Yeah, I'm at uh, I'm in New Orleans for the week. Um, some personal stuff down here. Um, still going to, of course, tons of coverage on on the Football Grad Network. So don't worry, that's all going to keep going throughout the entire week. But yeah, I really, I'm with Chris. I really enjoyed the international break as well. Uh, I did cover the Germany game a bit, and then. There's a Canada game I covered at BC Place and um, really enjoyed that one as well. So, you know, but it's it's just the pace is so much slower and you, 
usually we have like five, six, seven games a week that we cover and it's it went basically down to just two and that was really nice. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are always very busy with the uh, the football and uh, keeping it up to up to date on the Football Grad Network. Uh, I'm sure it was a rather welcome break. But um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the international break. So Manu, we obviously seen Germany haven't had the best time uh, recently, the World Cup obviously didn't go the way that they wanted to. Um, uh, there's there's been certain players have been told that they're not going to get picked again. But you know these two results that we've seen, they they drew one one with Serbia, uh, which was the friendly. But then competitively uh, in qualification, they they beat uh, Holland, um, a, a team that you know you like to get one over really. And um, what would this mean? What what differences have we seen in the side for anyone that maybe didn't tune in and, and see the game? And is the crisis over? I like that you called them Holland. Uh, I'm I have a lot of Dutch friends who won't like that. Um, maybe to clarify, I used to live in the Netherlands, and Holland is actually just a region a region of the Netherlands. So um, they did beat the Netherlands in Holland. So you're right with that. Uh, I think to answer your question overall. Um, it's 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 a great result. I think the first forty five minutes is the sort of football that we want to see from Germany going forward. Um, Joachim Löw outlined pretty much what he wants to see and why he has gotten rid of Boateng, Hummels, and uh, Müller, right? Because he wants to see more speed in the side. He wants to see more youth in the side. And for forty five minutes, we got exactly that. We got a team that you know at at that stage, I thought at the halftime whistle, I thought this game should have been maybe three four nil for Germany. They were outstanding, and then in the second half for for the first ten twenty minutes, they really wobbled and Netherlands came back and deservedly so, but I thought the response and you could see maybe the difference between the team that was in transition in the fall to the team that they have right now they already gaining experience and they came back from this result and ended up winning it, which is very difficult in the Netherlands and hasn't been done by a Germany side in a very, very long time. So I think 2018 was sort of, yes, it was a very bad year for German football overall, but we have to remember this is not comparable to the early 2000s where German football was on the ground and absolutely devastated. The, the big problem for Germany really was to phase out an older generation that was very successful and bring in a new generation that can also be very successful. I mean, we're looking at the U21 right now. They had two positive results, the 2-2 draw against France, a game that they actually dominated as well, and then throughout the match, the substitutions really watered down the results, as it often is the case in friendlies. And then they beat England, which ha who have a golden generation at the moment as well, uh, in England, um, something that hasn't done, been done in a long time either, um, to one. So I, I think that right now there is a lot of talent still in Germany. There's a lot of talk that there isn't talented players in Germany. I don't think that's true. I think the problem really is how are we going to fit them into the systems that are now required uh, in international football? And is Joachim Löw the man that can do it? And I, I would say from the Netherlands game, and I think this is something that people have really criticized him in the past that he wouldn't go and change and he really brought in change i mean to go out and cut three of your key players to field a formation with knabry and sani as two strikers something that we haven't seen before i think it really surprised a lot of people and definitely surprised ronald coman yeah absolutely i think things are looking much improved aren't they for germany i mean i i it can be a little bit funny can it tell you one victory can can turn things around but I mean with such changes uh, Chris you know I, I think there's a lot of positivity there and uh, as 
Manu mentioned, you know, a, a victory for the under-21s against England under-21s, who you and I will know uh, plenty of people are, are talking up just how good England at youth levels are at the moment. Yeah, I think it's a really good response from um, what has been quite a, a poor, let's say, last six months, maybe even a year to 18 months, really. Um, not not so much for the for the under guys, so under-21s, 19s, 17s, etc. Have, have been very good, but I think it was a good result for the national side, especially against the Dutch. Uh, they didn't play particularly well against last time they played. So, yeah, I was thinking it was, it was very positive. And I think the most relieved man will be Joachim Love because had he um, faced defeat uh, against the Netherlands in the, the qualifier, because, OK, friendlies are here there, really. Um, but had he faced defeat... He would have had lots of questions around him. Did he make the right decision by getting rid of you know the three guys he has, etc., etc., etc.? So coming back the way they did um, has, has, I'd say, alleviated a bit of pressure. But I mean, for me, I think he needs to go one step further. And Manu and I have talked about this off the pod, and we talked about it privately. I do think now the time's right for Mark Andre to Stegen to start being the number one keeper for for the national side. Um, and I didn't really see much from Manuel Neuer that made me think otherwise. Yeah, maybe maybe to say in the first half, he made a couple of good saves there. So, you know, he, it's it's a tricky one because on the one hand, you, you don't want to cut him right now. On the other hand, you have perhaps the world's best keeper as your number two, you know, going by form. Um, it's such a difficult one for me to be honest. And I think, you know, maybe this is the one thing he can't really do too much wrong in goal because you could play either one, really. You could play Ter Stegen or you could play Neuer and you would have by far and large a world-class keeper in between the sticks. Oh, yeah, I, I completely agree. But over the last, you know, maybe few months, and I think you've got to look at it through form. If you're getting picked for the national side, you've got to be on top form. And, and I don't think Neuer's there. Look at the mistakes he made against Liverpool, which ultimately led Bayern to crash out the Champions League. I don't think he did particularly well for the goals that were conceded um, against the Dutch. And I don't think he's been that good for Bayern of late. I know he didn't play on the weekend, but I know he's not been particularly good. And, and if you're... Um, Marc-Andre Stegen, you must be thinking, what do I have to do to become the number one goalkeeper for my country? Because I think he's playing wonderfully for Barcelona. I don't watch every single La Liga game, but every time I do watch Barcelona play, he puts in a wonderful performance. And he must be thinking, what do I need to do? I just think that maybe it's time to freshen that up at the back a little. I don't mean cut Neuer and never play him again. I mean, but maybe let's just give... Um, to Stegen a shot for the next three, four, five games, see how he gets on even in some friendlies and and, and some competitive games. I, I just think that a chance has been missed because you're quite right. He is one of the world's best goalkeepers at the moment on form and I don't know if he's been rewarded enough. And, and that, for me, harks back to this time of uh, when Joachim Love is, has been hesitant to make a change, whether it's good or bad. Uh, and he's stuck with players that he knows. And I know coaches are going to tend to do that, but it shows a lack of willing, shows a lack of um, forethought, it shows a lack of ability to change. And there are three areas that when you're a coach, you don't want to be displaying those. Yeah, and the numbers speak for Testing. I took a look at at the numbers. Um, there's three national team keepers, actually. Kevin Trapp, who has also had a fantastic season with Eintracht Frankfurt, both in the Bundesliga and internationally in the Europa League. 
and um, the numbers clearly do speak for Ter Stegen. Um, there's, we, I spoke to Aidan Rie, who does um, the numbers on goalkeepers worldwide, and um, they, they can be found in a Forbes article that I published. And I mean, Chris, you're right. When you look at the, just the form, and that's really what you need to go at when you have three keepers on that high level, you could even argue that Kevin Trapp should give him a shout over Manuel Neuer at the moment, the way he's been playing. So it's, it's really hard to make an argument against Ter Stegen. I think the one thing that I have to give Ter Stegen at the moment, he's been very clever in all of this. He said, yes, I want to be the number one, and that's all he said. You know, he's not like the keepers of old where he tried to pressure Löw into making a decision because we all know that usually gives the opposite response from the Bundestrainer. So um, I think... I think he will get his chances just because the way he's been playing and he deserves them. Yeah, we'll have to see if Lowe does make a change between the sticks in future games. Um, you know, it sounds like we're all suggesting that Jusagen should be moving into that position. Um, that leaves Germany. I'll just obviously point this out. Second in the group behind, well, as you'd imagine, Northern Ireland. But uh, we haven't got time to talk about that, you know, and uh, we need to move on to the Bundesliga. So... On Friday night, we've seen, well, a rather even game, unless you look at the scoreline, which seen Hoffenheim win 4-1 against Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, this was very much, uh, Chris, a, a six-pointer for the Europa League, wasn't it, for a Europa League spot? Because um, if, if Bayer Leverkusen had won this, they really would have uh, had some distance between Hoffenheim. So, so massive results uh, for Nagelsmann and his men. Yeah, it was. It was a wonderful um, fixture as well. Real good game, end to end. And and yeah, you're quite right. You Had you not seen the score and just seen the statistics from the game, or, or the statistics even, you would have thought, oh, that's a close game. Now, if you think that was close, wait till we get on to Saturday night's um, game um, with Leipzig, because that's another replication of this. And I say it all the time, I'll say it again, it's not how long you have the ball, it's what you do with it when, when you have it. And I thought... Hoffenheim were excellent um, even though they looked a little bit shaky at times they were still able to throw off um, the problems that they've had in the past especially in the Champions League where they've almost snatched a draw or snatched a defeat from the jaws of victory and and this time I think maybe they sent out a little bit of a marker um, I mean they had some wonderful players um, Belfordil I think was was exceptional again um, he maybe should have had a hat trick. I'll, I'll leave that one for Manu um, Kramaric nipped in there, but he too had a, a very good reason to do that. Um, but I know Manu did the Manu did the tactical analysis on footballstart.com. I did the match report, and and in my match report, um, I was I was shocked really because at the start, Leverkusen were playing this brand of football that we've come to associate with Peter Bosch now, which is really exciting, really fast, really fast flowing. You know, if you give them um, an inch they'll they'll take a yard and and they did that. They they should have really taken the lead. They didn't. Um, Hoffenheim took the lead through a very good goal. Um but then um Volland scored an equalizer through Julian Brandt's exceptional assist and this was a game of assists as much as it was of goals. So there was some fantastic um, passes and, and passes before the pass, the hockey pass, as we like to call it, the pass before the assist. I mean, if you've not seen this game, um, get yourself onto YouTube um, if you're in America or, or um, Canada and you, you, the rights holders will be able to do that. Those in the UK obviously can watch it through BT Sport Catch-Up. Um, and then for the rest of our listeners, which are dotted around the continent, um, you know, you'll be able to watch it on your um, on your local providers or, you know, there's plenty of ways of watching it on the internet. But it was a really good game. Um, 
I think maybe it was spoiled a little um, for the injuries on the part of um, Leverkusen. I don't know if that's maybe why Peter Bosch's side lost so much. They did, um, but but yeah, the I think the the, the two that they lost before half time was a real problem for them. But um, don't take anything away from Hoffenheim and don't take anything away from Belfordil because he was my man of the match. I thought he was I thought he was fantastic. Um, but as I put in a match report. Bayer Leverkusen are a team that look like they can either win 4-0 or get beat 4-0. And unfortunately, that's their only consistency is their inconsistency. Um, but yeah, don't let it take anything away from, from the performance that Hoffenheim put in. And the sort of performance, I think, that will give Julian Nagelsmann a bit of a legacy at Hoffenheim and something he'll want to take forward into um, RB Leipzig next season. Absolutely, I, th- I think that's true, Chris. Um, Manu, you seem to really enjoy Hoffenheim's setup with this uh, 4-3-3 and, and three very out-and-out strikers up top. It, it reminds you of, uh, well, of uh, when you would have played computer games in the past. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, 4-3-3 with three strikers. I mean, this is a, it just reminds me of in the 1990s, early 2000s, when I played uh, football manager games like the FIFA one or the the football manager version, or there was one in Germany called Anstoß, and they had just midfielders, strikers, and defenders in the early versions, right? And you would just put three strikers up top that had the highest rating. You didn't care if they were more inclined to play on the left, the right, the center. And this kind of reminded me of that. When I looked at the lineup, um, Hoffenheim went with a 4-3-3, and Belfodil, Gramaric, and Joel Linton up top as I mean, all three are number nines. They're not wingers. They're not, you know, deep-lying forwards. They're like two number nines. And you don't often see head coaches do that anymore. I mean, Hoffenheim have an incredible depth in the striking position, in the in the forward position, more than any other Bundesliga side. He brought on Otto in the second half, uh, David Otto, a very talented striker from the youth setup, um, not a big number nine. And I thought that was, that was, when I saw it, I thought it was very gutsy, but... Um, ahead of the match, you know, Leverkusen already struggled with the wideout players, and they often get caught up really far up the pitch. So playing with with these kind of power forwards makes sense, and it it was really hard. It was actually not really an easy game to when you when you break break it down, um, taking all the the soft factors aside. Because I I think Chris is quite right. Two of the things that really stood out for me were the, the two injuries in the first half, um, which meant that Weiser came on, um, Bender was went off injured, and um, just a quick reminder: it's one player I'm missing. Well, there was two injuries, and in the Aranguis came on right for uh, Bellarabi, so that changed the entire setup. That meant Brandt had to go up in the wing, and um, Bender Weiser as a more attacking winger than Bender uh, in, as a, in the wingback position. And that really changed the setup. And that gave those three number nines a lot of room to roam. And I thought it was really interesting how Nagelsmann kept through, through that formation throughout the game. He made a couple of adjustments, but then quickly bent back to it. Uh, Joel Linton had to get off with an injury. He brought Amiri on. That was a number 10. But then soon after, he took off a midfielder and brought on Otto. So we went back to the three strikers. That was all significant, and you guys saying this is an even match when you look at the stats, but if I just look at the stats, I see Bayer Leverkusen with 65% possession. They had 19 to 12 shots, um, five, to shot, five to four shots on target. So Hoffenheim had just four shots on target 
price and they all four went in so th i guess that's what you get when you have three big number nines you're just super effective they're all very fast they have the chance because they are they're all um very powerful forwards they when they when they get that that high line when they break past that high line that gives them the room to roam and i guess with those three forwards you just they are going to be able to find that kind of space that you won't get against any other Bundesliga side when you play against Leverkusen. So Nagelsmann said, okay, Peter Bosch plays attacking football. He will have a high line and that will give my strikers lots of, lots of room to roam. Three number nines are not going to stand on each other's feet um, as it's usually the case. So let's go for it. <laughs> it worked out really well. Well, Manu, obviously, Chris talked about Nagelsmann and you know, he's leaving in the summer. He's going to RB Leipzig and just where he may like to leave Hoffenheim, you know, when he does depart. Um, we see a few clubs very close together and sitting in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth as well, because I'm, I'm including Borussia Mönchengladbach, who do have 47 points, but they're dropping all the time. Um, after that, we've got Werner Bremen on 42, we've got Bayer Leverkusen on 42, we've got Wolfsburg on 42, we've got Hoffenheim on 41. Uh, where exactly do you see the likes of Hoffenheim and Bayer Leverkusen finishing at the end of the season? I mean, that, that's a closely fought battle. Well, last year, uh, Hoffenheim went into this match, same same match day, same position, same amount of points, and they actually ended up finishing third. Now, we had a little bit of a different situation last year that um, Schalke finished the second place with 55 points, if I'm not mistaken, right? So we already have Bayern on 61 points right now. We have Leipzig behind him with 52, and then we have Frankfurt. Um, I, I did the calculation based on the points that they, the teams in like Leipzig and Frankfurt got in the Rückrunde so far. They both projected to finish way above 55 points. So, you know, even if Hoffenheim get bring string together the same uh, same results than they did last year it simply won't be enough to catch up just because it's a completely different situation with the top four just collecting too many points so but that said i could see hoffenheim finishing that top six and i see leverkusen potentially finishing in that top six too because yes they lost that game but that result i just said hoffenheim had four shots in goal and four shots went in right the result was a bit too heavy, in my opinion. It could have been much closer. So Leverkusen will win plenty of games going out. So I could see, we'll get to Gladbach in a moment, right? So I could see um, both Leverkusen and Hoffenheim leapfrog Gladbach into that uh, fifth and sixth spot. Yeah, and why not, I suppose? Uh, Chris, would you go along with that? Could, could you see both those sides uh, jumping into the fifth and sixth spot? I mean, it is so close, isn't it? Um... I mean, it is really, really close. And I mean, if you're asking about Julian Nagelsmann's legacy, um, when he took over from the club, uh, sorry, when he took over at the club, he he steered them to safety, which was exceptional. And then after that, he got them into the Champions League, um, into the playoff by finishing fourth, which was just a sublime thing to do, especially after going so close to relegation the season. Um, after that, obviously, we didn't. We know they didn't make the Champions League on that, but they made the Europa League, got some really good experience under the belt, and then he qualified for Europe again. So I, I would say if he doesn't get them into um, those two Europa League slots, I, I wouldn't say it would tarnish his legacy, but I don't think it's what he would have wanted to leave. Um, if you do something as good as rescue a club from almost certain relegation, take them to the cusp of the Champions League, then actually take them to the Champions League the season after, 
for your final season, you'd, you'd almost like to think that either you'd get back into the Champions League or you would at least steer them to fifth or sixth. Um, but I think they're they're in good. I think they're in a good position to do that. If I look at the teams around them, Wolfsburg. I, th- I mean, obviously they were hammered by um, Bayern the other week. They were beaten rather unluckily, I think you will probably say, by Dortmund this weekend. But they're still on the downward trajectory. Uh, Gladbach, I could see them finishing as low as ninth. So, I mean, where that would put. Hoffenheim maybe up to seventh if those two teams follow the way they're going. And, and would that be enough? Probably not. That would all depend on um, who wins the DFB Pokal at some point. So I would like to see Hoffenheim get there because I think Julian Nagelsmann, that would be a fitted end. But I mean, for the other teams, it's so close. You've already gone through. I think from ninth to fifth, um, those those positions are completely fluid and it wouldn't surprise me to see us get to the final one or two match days with everything up to play for, maybe from fifth down to eighth. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be an interesting one, that, isn't it? I mean, there's there's plenty of interest at the top and the bottom of the table, but now more or less in the middle as well. So um, let's talk a little bit about the top, as next week we're going to see Der Classico. Yes, that's right. Bayern Munich will be taking on Borussia Dortmund. That's first against second. It's going to be very interesting. A late kickoff on the 6th of April. But before we talk about things on the pitch, uh, let's talk about them off. Uh, Manu, it's been made official at long last, and that's the signing of Lucas Hernandez. Um, what exactly can you tell us about this uh, young man that's coming from Atletico Madrid? Yeah, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? Um, published the the article on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday it was finally made official. Um, bit of a coincidence, I guess. But yeah, it's it, it's a it's it's a it's very very much a transfer that has been coming for some time. And I think when you when you anyone in Munich knew that it was only a matter of time that it would actually be finally made official, and um, it's also for me that statement of intent that I think a lot of Bayern fans were hoping for in the winter, that the the sign that the club is finally willing to compete with the the very big transfer spenders, because they shelled their eighty million euros for a twenty three year old defender, a World Cup winner, right? And um, that makes him, depends on whose accounts you believe, the first or second most def- uh, expensive defender in history after Virgil van Dijk, um, or before Virgil van Dijk, okay, right? Uh, depends on which sources you believe. So it's a big statement by them, and it's a statement that has has been been coming for some time. And you have to also keep in mind, uh, Bryce, that this is not your first transfer, big transfer for them, because they they already signed Luke, uh, Benjamin Pavard for 35 million euros, right? So they had 150 million euros already of, for transfer spending next summer. And when you believe some of the reports, they could spend up to 300 million euros. Now, there were some suggestions that they're not a big club because they're not willing to spend the money. I think when you go by this, and this just say them... The, the fact that they've already spent 115 and the fact that they're going to spend a lot more, I reckon, when, when the summertime rolls around on transfers, not just in the summer, but for transfers for the next two years because they are going to rehaul the entire squad and they are going to spend the entire piggy bank on it. And I think this is a huge statement of intent overall. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris, it, if we look at the transfers that they've got coming in in Lucas Hernandez and then you've got Benjamin Pavard as well, I mean... It, is 
you know, will this be enough for Bayern to sort out the issues that they've kind of had at the back recently? And, and what exactly does it mean for the likes of Boateng and, and Hummels? Well, I think the, the writing will probably be on the wall for both of them at some point, maybe um, if not in the summer, I would think that if both Pavard and Hernandez settle well and they become regulars, I think there could be a um, a winter exit for one or maybe two of them. Um, but Bayern needed to spend this money. And I think maybe getting knocked out of the Champions League has, has maybe helped this. Okay, the Pavard money was spent. Um, but, I mean, we all talked when the Champions League draw was made. Um, this was when the links were done with, with Hernandez. They became... Uh, you know, pretty permanent uh, links and pretty strong and, and very well-respected links. Um, and I think we were all surprised that he wasn't brought in in the, in the winter transfer window because had he been, um, I think things would have been different. OK, obviously, I know he's injured at the moment and you can't foresee all these problems, but I thought it would have happened earlier and, and it hasn't. And I think maybe going out of the Champions League at the round of 16, which is something that Bayern are definitely not used to, as as maybe made the likes of um, Sam Halidic and and um, Karl Heinz and Uli Honus, I, I think it's made them think. Okay, we actually need to do something because okay, they are one of the best sides in Germany, um, and over the past you know six seven seasons, they have been the best side in the Bundesliga. But what they don't want to be doing is falling behind in Europe, and I I got that feeling that they were starting to do that this year a little bit. Um, I don't think it's helped them much that Niko Kovac uh, bemoaned the lack of spending, obviously, before his time. I think maybe that has helped fuel this spending. And yeah, Bayern need to do it because they need to be back in the latter stages of the Champions League. I, I still think that the Bundesliga, uh, I don't think it's easy for them, but uh, you know they haven't played particularly well this season and they're still second and by a, by a long way to third as well. So it's in it's in the European element where they need to really improve and, and maybe get back to contesting finals and, and winning the trophy. So I think this will help um, and it should shore up the back. Um, at some point, I've said it for the last few weeks, at some point they're going to have to think about a goalkeeper in the future and they should be planning for that now. I hope for their sake they are. Um, and I think they need a striker because... I know Robert Lewandowski is playing very well at the moment and he's you know he's on target to get the the cannon at the end of the season but he's a player that doesn't look particularly happy at times and I think they need a new injection there and probably maybe a midfielder again so I think 300 million wouldn't be out of the realms of possibility for them to spend and obviously they can do that because um, they've got the savings and they they've got the money banked and that's why they've got so much money because they've been unwilling to spend it and I do think that this Champions League exit has sort of forced their hand and maybe in two, three, four seasons' time they can look back and say maybe it was a blessing in disguise because it changed our transfer, the way we look at transfers, the way we bring players in, who we bring in, how much we outlay for them, what their wages are, because you want to compete at the top table. Unfortunately, these days, and I'm not a big fan of it, you have to spend like you're at the top table as well. So it'll be interesting times to see just how Bayern get on next season, but I don't think they've finished... Um, Bayern as yet. I do think they Bayern, 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 Bayern. Little joke in there. I don't. I do think they'll get a, a midfielder and a striker. And um, well, Honus has already said that there's some exciting players coming, and I don't think Hernandez is the last one. I think also they they looked at the the way Germany played, 
against the Netherlands and they thought, oh man, we should have bought Leroy Sané back in 2016. Should have really gone for that because I think that they got very dependent on the one number nine striker up front and I think they sort of wish they weren't. I think they wish they had more flexibility when it comes to the forward line. Um, you know, for so many years, it was always defined by robbery and then Lewandowski. And I think they kind of wish they had just a, an array of different players up front. So I think there's a lot of thinking going on in that direction. How could they rectify the fact that they let Leroy Sané slip through their fingers back? You know, the offer was in 2016 and then they decided against it in 2017. How can they ensure that that will never happen again? So I think that when you see so many different reports, you know, with Nicolas Pepe being linked, Timo Werner being linked, Carlum Hatzemordoy being linked, various other forwards, attacking players being linked. I think that all, it, it sort of is like a public, it's like thinking out loud for Bayern at the moment. Like which of those four players, maybe two of them, maybe all of them, maybe just one of them, who is going to help us the most going forward? How are we going to play football in the coming years? And I think that a lot of these transfer rumors there's always there's always truth in them, um, and all these rumors is truth. All these players are linked to Bayern for a reason, and I think the statements on and off whether a player is a fit or not is all just kind of reflects that they're just not a hundred percent sure yet where they want to go in every position on the squad, including maybe even the coaching position, Bryce. And I think that is really that that's why there is so much turmoil right now, and it's really it's really interesting to watch. Yeah, very much so. It's it's, it's definitely a, a quite a transitional and a quite an exciting period, isn't it, for buying Bayern, as uh, Chris said. Uh, but Mario, Chris suggested that there might be more players to come in. There's there's more areas to improve. Um, is, is there any names that we can put to that that's kind of on the radar? I think I named them all: Pepe, Werner, Kai Havertz. There's a lot of rumors about Kai Havertz, although I'm pretty sure that one will not be done until 2020 if it gets done at all. There's a lot of other teams interested. Um, Kalum Hudson Oidoi, they remain very, very interested, and I think they would be willing to wait till 2020 and get him on a free um, sort of Bundesliga Chelsea a little bit, you know, like they do with all the Bundesliga sides. Sometimes they wait and they're very patient and they can do it. They have shown it many, many times in the past. If they want a target, they usually get their targets. So um, I think those those are the names that are very much on the list. And, um, you know, when it comes to midfielders, I, I'm not sure yet exactly what they want to do in that position. They've been they were very heavily linked to Frankie de Jong. Obviously, he's going to Barca, but that suggests that they are looking into that position as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I can I can drop a number of names, Bryce, if you want, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go to Bayern, you know, even if they have been heavily linked. And even if we have suggested in the past that the transfer is done, uh, because, you know, it's, it's so much in flux right now. Want to be sure you always look your best? The Reflections LED Rose Gold Makeup Mirror from Conair makes it easy with all the features you need to groom and apply makeup with precision. Lifetime LED lighting won't ever dim or diminish. No replacement bulbs needed. One-time magnification provides a full view or 10 times magnification for close-up tweezing and details. Designed with a beautiful rose gold finish, the mirror rotates at 360 degrees with a 7.5-inch viewing surface to attend to every feature. Makes a great gift. Go to conair.com for the Reflections LED Rose Gold Makeup mirror now it wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy right 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, people love to hear names, don't they? And get excited about them. Oh, he's great on FIFA and all this. So they would have appreciated every one of those names, I'm sure, Manu. But um, Chris, uh, let's talk about the stuff on the field. Yes, we've been getting excited for Dirk Haskell for quite some time now, quite a few weeks, but more weeks than what we really should. We should always be focusing on this match day uh, and a little look ahead to the next one, not four or five ahead, but... Um, this weekend, we've seen uh, Bayern Munich drop some points. They drew 1-1 against Freiburg. They were they were absolutely knocking on that door with their 27 shots, but just couldn't get the job done. And um, this is an unexpected result after they've been in such good form recently. But, but Freiburg took it to them and scored early on, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They covered this match on um for the half-two stroke, half-three kickoff. Um, yeah. I mean, football cliche number one. I'm going to have to start getting a little bell or something so whenever I drop a football cliche, I can ring it to remind myself not to. But it was a game of two halves. Uh, that was probably the worst one I could have used. But um, Freiburg were phenomenal first half. Um, I, I was trying to find the right headline to fit in the end. And I went with Freiburg hold Bayern as Christian Strike's approach shows there's still work to do for Nico Kovac. And I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, Strike's approach was, was one of no fear, um, and he got that into his players. And we've seen recently that teams have maybe started to fear Bayern a little bit. Hertha had a sort of go, but were, were overturned 1-0. But then um, Gladbach and Wolfsburg just sat back at times and, and were destroyed. And um, I had a good rant last time we did a podcast. And um, for Freiburg's, or to Freiburg's credit, and, and they do this a lot, and I've been there and watched them play and. I think we've all talked about how great Christine Strike is, but they had no fear and, and they went out and attacked Bayern from the very first minute um, and scored after three minutes. I didn't think you could get a better start. I think the only criticism I, I could have had is that maybe they could have scored a few more. Um, and then the pace they set, I mean, Bayern just couldn't live with it. And, you know, the, the nickname they got, the Brazil Brasilina, um, as in like, you know, the Brazilians from that area and the football they were playing was one touch, pass and move. It was a joy to watch. Um, but the, the tempo was so, so high um, that Freiburg just couldn't live with it in the end. And they started to tire a bit. And, and that's when Bayern's experience started to show. But they could not score that all important second goal that they needed. Um and that was down to a number of, of, of things. Missed opportunities, perchance. Um, but, I mean, my man of match was um, was Freiburg's keeper. I thought he was he was everywhere. He got his angles right on everything. Um, not only did he da- uh, deny um, Robert Lewandowski, which is a hard job in itself. He stopped um, James Rodriguez from scoring. He stopped Goretzka from scoring. He stopped Gnabry from scoring. He was there on every single one. Um, and... Yeah, it was a great performance by a goalkeeper. And I suppose if that's who you man of the match of, I suppose in the end it shows that Bayern were very dominant. But yeah, I'll go back to my original statement. It was a tale of two halves. And if 
if Dortmund are afforded the same privileges that Freiburg were this coming match day, um, I think it definitely won't end in a draw um, for Bayern on that day. But for as good as they were at going forward, Bayern, they couldn't get the ball in. And then when they were when they were pushed and when they were pressed, I thought they were really, really poor. They they couldn't live with it. Um, I mean, some of the stats I got from the game, so Freiburg's nine first-half shots are the most registered against Bayern in the opening half of a game this season. And that shows you just how much effort Freiburg put in. Um, I know Lewandowski got his 199th Bundesliga goal and he will probably wait um, to get his 200th against Dortmund. Uh, I think that will be the forefront of his mind. But yeah, the worrying sign for me for Bayern is that they're still really susceptible to this fast-paced football, like we saw in the Champions League, like we saw earlier on in the season against Hertha Berlin in the Olympic Stadium. When teams press them, they can't really deal with it. Um, and that will be a worry for them going into next week against Dortmund because, as we all know, Dortmund are very good at going forward, breaking at speed. I think it's really interesting how... You know, the, the sort of adventurous coaches this season, you know, the Streichs, the Favres, the Klops, all get results against Bayern. And the more conservative, defensive thinking coaches, the Labadeers and the Hackings, completely get, get, got, you know, get wheeled over by them. It's just, it's just an observation. And I, I think that pretty much sums up everything you just said about Freiburg, Chris. Yeah, it does. And, and, I think that's why I went on such a rant on the on the last podcast because this Bayern side, if you push them, they're 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 going to buckle. Um, and I'm not anti Bayern, but I like to see a good game of football. And when teams sit back, and and it's almost and it's almost. I don't think Labadee did this. I do think Hecken did to a certain point. It's when teams like ha- um, Hamburg used to. They used to just go, well, there's six points we're not going to get, and write it off. And and that's what annoyed me. And you get. Coaches like Christine Streich, who are the complete opposite, and were like, right, okay, so Bayern might have more talented players than us, but if we work as hard, or if we work harder than them, then we can make up that gap in talent, and that's what Freiburg did, and, and Bayern can't live with it, and their passes were off, their positioning was off, they were arguing amongst each other, and all the time, um, Freiburg were going down both flanks, at speed, breaking, getting in behind the back four, getting in behind the midfield um, three as well. And and it was a joy to watch. And, and I don't say that because it's a joy to watch Bayern get ripped apart. It, it would have been a joy to watch whoever Freiburg were playing, playing that way. Um, and, and that's why I get frustrated because teams should be playing against this because they should look and go, actually, this is what we can do. I mean, Freiburg, we all know they punch above their own weight for the size of the... For the size of the town stroke city, for the for the money that they have, they punch above the weight. And they punch above the weight because they show no fear. Um and I just thought it was a really good um a really good fixture. Um and unfortunately for them they ran out of steam and that allowed Bayern to get back in it. But I just wish teams would take it to, to Bayern week in, week out. The same way I like teams to take it to Dortmund because I like to see a good game of football and that's been missing of, of a few weeks of late, but it certainly came back this match day. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Borussia Dortmund. Manu, they um, managed a 2-0 victory over Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg, as we know, are a rather tough opponent. You know, they're they're gunning for that Europa League spot as well with 42 points. But they left it rather late with uh, Alcazar getting two goals um, in added time. Uh, I mean, this is fantastic for Dortmund ahead of Der Klassiker, isn't it? 
Well, it sets them up very nicely, doesn't it? Because even if they now lose to Bayern, it's, then it would be still only one point. And um, when when you look at the, the final stretch, Bayern still have some very big opponents. So I think it would it it keeps the it keeps the championship race open no matter what happens on Saturday, um, which is of course what we want to see. I think too, it's sort of the last two match days we sort of seen Dortmund back to their strengths. Um, the the father football is is compacter against Hertha. Yes, do you only win three two against Hertha? Hertha have been a very good side, especially at home. Right, the previous match day, and then this match day against the Wolfsburg side. That yeah. <laughs> under the wheels against Bayern, but much improved in this match. And do just have that patient play throughout the 90 minutes. They were without Marco Royce. They were chipping away on Wolfsburg. They were, they were not rushing it. And then, of course, you, then the quality uh, sooner or later comes through. And in this case, it was Paco Alcazar who got um, two late goals. Um, I think this was number eight and number nine for him in extra time, which is a record in the Bundesliga this season. So... You know, it sets up things so nicely. The storyline is just well set. And I, I'm in in America right now, and uh, I watch the the Bundesliga highlights and the, the Bundesliga games today on Fox Sports here in the States. And every second commercial was their classical title race, championship, match deciding game. You know, this sets it up so well. And I think Dortmund now can go into this game with a lot of confidence, knowing that if we play our style of football, if we are patient, if we work hard. Marco Royce will be back. Congratulations, by the way. He he got a, he got a, had a kid. That's why he matched, ma- missed this game. He will be back in this game after being well rested. He didn't play much for the German national team, even though he made the decisive pass for Schulz to win for Germany. Right. So he'll come back in this game with plenty of confidence, well rested. I think it sets it up just so well, Bryce. We are we now going into this classica with everything on the line with two teams. You know, Bayern under pressure because they just dropped points again this season, and Dortmund back at their best after winning two games in a row with last-minute goals. Well, Chris, do you see the the Bayern results? You them obviously dropping two points and dropping down to second now. Do, do you think that that gets them riled up for this game even more than ever? They're thinking if we win, we're going to you know, leapfrog them at the top of the league. We, we mentioned before that maybe Dortmund are better being the hunter rather than the, the hunted. Well, it's a hard one because I think Bayern have, have stumbled a little bit when they they felt the pressure. Um, to be honest, Bryce, I, I thought um, Dortmund had blown it because, as Manu will tell you, and, and as any writer will tell you, the 90th minute in a match is, is one of the busiest. So I, I was, I'd prepped my match report, I'd, my images were done. I was literally on my last paragraph. Um, and then it's only just as I was about to press publish, uh, a minute after the final whistle, that I checked the Dortmund score and saw that they'd scored two very late goals and that to do a very quick rewrite of my last paragraph. I, I thought Dortmund had, had left it too late, but that's the beauty of football and, and Manu's quite right. It's not just set Dortmund up. I think it's set everybody up to watch this match. Um, it, it's a big game no matter what, but when, I mean, it's almost like a final for for who wins the league, isn't it? I know there's, there's a lot of twists and turns that can happen in the, in the final few match days, but you would think whoever wins this game goes on to win the title because of of, of the win that will carry them on. And if we're going to keep the nautical theme, whoever whoever loses, I think the wind will be ripped out of their sails. So it's just so close. And I mean, it was so close in when the teams met earlier on in the season and it was hard to call then. Uh, this one's going to be even harder. And I think... 
maybe is it going to be the, the team that plays it the most safe that wins or is it the team that goes balls out and, and tries to win it that is the one that wins um I mean, Dortmund have got so much to look on. Uh, the teams that have gone to the Allianz and done well um, in the past few months, they can study those tapes, study those analysis, where Bayern's weaknesses are. But then Dortmund have shown that they're not exactly on top form, so Bayern are going to be able to look at the same sort of incidents where Dortmund have let themselves go. And, and will, will, will Kovac alter the way he plays to sort of nullify the Dortmund effect. Does he want to do that at home? It, it's real intriguing because we saw in the Champions League where he altered the way Bayern played and they went to Anfield and got a fantastic nil-nil result. Um, I don't know if he wants to adapt it that much at home, but then he'll need to do something because Dortmund have got the possibility to put two, three, four goals past them if they play like they did against Freiburg. So, it's not going to be just an interesting week. I'm sorry, not just an interesting match day. I think all this week we're going to get little signs from players' comments on social media. Who's doing what in training? How's it going? I think it's a real fascinating, real fascinating big week of football, both on and off the pitch. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else next week than in Munich, unfortunately. I'm going to be in England, but I would love to be in the stadium because... The Allianz is a great stadium to watch football in, but with these two teams here, I think it's going to be even better. I have an analogy for you, Bryce. I think for Bayern, this is a final. And for Dortmund, it's the first leg of a semi-final. And I explain to you why. Because if Dortmund win this game, they will be champions. It will be five points. You know, Five points at this stage of the season... I just can't see Bayern come back from that after they've come back already once, right? It would be too big of a mountain to climb given the games that are still left. But here's the kicker. If Bayern win this game, Dortmund would still have time to overcome this, right? So this makes this really, 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 really interesting for all the Bayern fans. This will be a must-win game for them, whereas for Dortmund, they have almost a little bit less pressure into this one. Of course, they will want to win it because they know if we win this game, you know, then we only have to do our work and we could still lose one and still be champions at the end of the year. So this makes it really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It really does. Um, I mean, as you said, Chris, you know, about the, um, the, the possible tactical um, changes and how you set up your side. I mean, it, is it a big advantage for, for Bayern to be at home for this one? Or is that taken completely out of the equation because of how the uh, league is set up at the moment, you know, with Dortmund being ahead? Well, that's a great question. So normally I would say being at home is a better advantage. Um, but dropping points against um, Freiburg, I was in the Allianz not too long ago. The locals can get a little bit restless when it's not going the right way. I don't know if maybe an away game would have suited um, just the atmosphere around the club at the moment. How could they go to Signal Iduna Park and get a win or get a draw? I think that might have played into their hands a little better. But on the flip side of that, they're playing in a magnificent stadium. It'll be packed to the rafters. The Dortmund fans will be up on high out the way. So Bayern will have all their fans around the pitch roaring them on to victory. Um, And we've seen some classic games there over the last few years, we've seen Dortmund win. I was there for for a Dortmund win in the Pokal in the semi-final the other season. We've seen Bayern absolutely tear Dortmund apart. 
Um, so you don't know what you're going to get. This is the beauty of, of this matchup because I think form goes out the window and it's who wants it the most on that day. But if we're going to say who's got the most nerves, it's a real hard one because, as Manu said, if Dortmund win this game, they're five points clear. Um, so for Dortmund, I think they can. their mantra will be don't lose. Bayern's is we have to win. So I think if you have to win and you're at home, that brings an added pressure. And whereas Dortmund can go away and get a draw in the Allianz and, and be, you know, still sitting pretty, um, I think it would be advantage Dortmund. So it's going to be a fascinating game to watch for, for lots of reasons. But every time I'm thinking there's another reason, that's going to make it even more interesting to watch. So, so yeah, just watch it. And then I think our podcast next week, will we know who's going to be closer to winning the title? If Dortmund win, I think we will know. Yeah, maybe the biggest classico we had in a long time, Bryce, because it's so meaningful. So, yeah, if you are missing this one, I don't know. You better have a very good excuse. There is no there is no okay. excuse to miss this one. My family are going on holiday. I'm missing this one. And I, I'm there. Sorry, I'm missing the holiday. I'm, I'm at home covering the game. I'm not I'm not going away. Unless, unless obviously they're going to Munich, then you probably should have. Went yeah, they're to going Munich. to Scotland, so it, it was an easy, it was an easier choice for me on that one. And obviously, Liverpool play Porto midweek, so I'll be at Anfield for football start anyway. Yeah, of course. But guys, the, the last thing that could possibly ask under Classica is predictions. We're going to have to go there, Manu. Give me a prediction if no. you will. Oh, no. come on, come on. No. Do it. Do it. Come on. <laughs> I'm done with predictions this year, Bryce. <laughs> Come on. I'm, I'm not going to leave you alone until you give me a prediction of both of you. Okay, I'll say 1-1. One, one. Chris? I'm going to say 2-1 Dortmund. Oh, I'm going to say I'm going to say 1-0 Bayern. Oh, terrible, eh? Um, but let's see what happens. That means that we've covered all grounds. Uh, win, lose and draw for any of the teams, really. Um, but, um, yes, let's get back to the uh, Bundesliga and games that have actually happened. On Saturday night, the late kickoff game scene, RB Leipzig absolutely hammer Hertha. Unless you look at the stats, Chris Williams. <laughs> yeah, please do look at the stats. I tweeted this out because, um, unbelievably, um, the sides had 50% possession each. Um, but, obviously, the score lines were so different and I think people go well how can that be and and I thought no surely there's got to be a mistake there maybe I should you know try and have to check it myself but I, I did check it the stats were 50-50 on possession but the shots wise um Hertha managed six and none on target Leipzig 21 eight shots on target um and obviously the score was five nil so I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. It doesn't matter how long you have the ball um, or how much possession you have. It's what you do with it. And 50-50 split for one team to win 5-0 is incredible. And there was a lot of incredible things about this game. Leipzig's fast-flowing attacking style looked back to the best it's been. Um, Poulsen was brilliant. I thought um, the the rest of the Leipzig forward line had a good game. but poor Hertha were way short of, of anything I've seen them of late. And I'm going to blame that horrendous away kit, Bryce. I don't like it. I don't like the mixture of dark blue and turquoise. And um, I'm a fan of kits affecting teams. Um, and I think this particular kit 
doesn't do much for Hertha Berlin and, and they should go back to Nike and say, give us a better one for next season, please. <laughs> of all things, eh, Teria, to cause a 5-0 drubbing. Um, Manu, would you get behind this, that you think it's the kit that possibly contributed towards a 5-0 defeat when all seemed fairly even? It's, look at what the mint green did to Bayern this year. I'm absolutely with Chris. Uh, uh, kits are a big part. You know, you know, in German you say, Kleider machen Leute. Clothes make people. There you go. It took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Just beat me to it, eh? Um, <laughs> well, if we talk about uh, RB Leipzig, uh, things are looking pretty well for them in their bid for uh, Champions League football next year. That's them on 52 points. Yes, they're, they may be um, nine points behind second place, but that means that they're now three points ahead of Eintracht Frankfurt. And yeah, yeah looking, looking pretty good, Manu. Yeah, I think they can plan for Champions League football for next season. The, the way they've been playing, they've been... Now, Rangnick has them set up very well, and it's going to be amazing to see what Snagelsmann is going to do with this team. So, in a very good position. And not the only team in a very good position either. I mean, we're going to talk about another team in a moment um, that's also setting itself up for Champions League football. Well, yes, let's talk about Eintracht Frankfurt. They've been on a hell of a run in recent times. And no, I'm not talking about Europe. I'm talking about in the league. Uh, they had a bit of a blip, didn't they, at the start of the year, uh, the end of last year as well. But things are looking very good as they've passed Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Chris, we've talked many a times about how we'd like to see those massive uh, European nights, but in the Champions League in Frankfurt and it looks like it's going to happen. You know, Gladbach aren't doing themselves any favours at the moment. No, they're not. And I think that um, my worry um, about Frankfurt not being able to to make it in the Champions League is, is getting ebbed away each week every time I see them play. So I think if you listen to our podcast maybe six, eight weeks ago, I would have said I don't quite think I'd trap Frankfurt are ready for the Champions League. I think it would be a big step for them, yada, yada, yada. I've, I've one eighty on that now. I think the Champions League would be ready for Eintracht Frankfurt. I've seen some of the performances in the Champions League this season, um, not just from the clubs in Germany, but from clubs across Europe. Um, I think Eintracht Frankfurt would be in with a very good shout of qualifying out of whatever group they were put in, unless they unfortunately found themselves in the dreaded group of death, whoever that may be. But I could only see that that sort of competition pushing Eintracht Frankfurt onto better things. So, um, yeah, I've won 80, Bryce. I think Frankfurt would, would do well in the Champions League. Um, my concern is that they can keep hold of, of their best players, not just um, Jovic, but Kostic, Rebic, Haller, Da Costa, um, Hasebi at the back, trapping goal. Um, I'm hoping that they can keep hold of those players. And Champions League football should hopefully enable them to do that for just one season. I think you could maybe go to the likes of Luka Jovic and say, look, um, we know you're an exceptional player. We know that we could sell you for millions more than we bought you for. Um, and we're happy to do that next season. Just give us one season of Champions League, see where we can get. Because if they can play well in the Champions League and, and give a good account of themselves, get through to you know the round of 16, maybe even the one after that, the quarterfinal, that's the beauty of the Champions League, straight through to the round of 16, there's no round of 32. Um, if they can get themselves into those knockout stages, they will then become an attractive proposition. Um, Manu's mentioned frequently, um, that Frankfurt's a rich city and a rich area, and it is. And uh, you know, I've flown into there a few times. It's a very nice place. I don't think they'd have a problem 
um, getting players to play there, and they haven't in the past. Um, and I don't think it would affect them at all with Champions League football. So, yeah, I'm hoping they can get Champions League football, and I'm hoping they can keep hold of some of those players that will enable them to do really well next year. Um, and they've beat here a Stuttgart side that we thought maybe had had gone on to different things, maybe had turned a bit of a corner, obviously got a new sporting director in, etc., etc. Um, and I do think Stuttgart have turned a little corner, but Frankfurt are just playing so well at the moment that um, I can't see them not getting Champions League. If, if they don't get it now, I think it would be one of the worst things that could have happened to the club in the last few seasons because I think they're ready for it, the players are ready for it, the city's ready for it, the fans are ready for it. The stadium will soon be ready for it. All the stars are aligning now, Bryce, and I wish them the rest, best of luck for the rest of the season. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed, won't we? It would be exciting to see Antrag Frankfurt in the Champions League, and it looks pretty good for them. And Manu, just before we wrap things up, and you can go and fill your boots with uh, chicken wings, uh, whiskey and whatever else um, in New Orleans, we've seen Schalke finally pick up a win. That's right, away to Hanover, uh, with Osberg losing as well. Things look a little bit more positive for them. Yeah, but my pop team could beat uh, Hanover. No, I'm just kidding. That was a big win for them. Uh, Schalke really needed that result. It really, really, really needed that result um, under Hoop Stevens because, look, they now have 26 points. They're six points clear of the relegation playoffs. They're 10 points clear of that dread, the direct drop zone. It's going to be an atrocious season no matter where they end up, Bryce. But, you know, if they that season would have ended up in the relegation playoffs or even worse, straight relegation, boy, that would have been unfixable. We're talking about one of the top 10, 15 teams in revenue in Europe worldwide going down to a second division. That would have been an instant drop of 100 million euros in revenue. They would have, would have been half the team players on the squad don't even have contracts for Bundesliga 2. It would have been devastating for them. It would have set them back decades, not years, decades. And so I think for them right now, get the points, stay out of the relegation zone, I think, and just try to forget the season as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think that might be a pretty good shot, uh, Manu. But uh, guys, that more or less does it. We flew through this hour uh, once again, there is no team of the week this week. We just haven't got any time, but we'll definitely squeeze it in next week, especially when we're allowed to put a Dirk Classicer into the mix as well for it. But uh, Chris, what have you got going on this week um, across the Football Grad Network? Um, I th- Brian, to be honest, we're recording this Sunday afternoon. Um, I'm going to have tomorrow off because I can't cope with two title races in the two leagues that I cover, and I'm pretty much spent on Sunday night, Bryce. Uh, fantastic Saturday um, in Germany. Fantastic Sunday in England. Um, so I'm going to have a rest on, on Monday. And then before we know it, we'll be back into next weekend's football. And then we've got European football after that. So um, it's going to be the start of a, of a busy period on um, footballstat.com and on Football Grad um, and obviously on, on Football Grad Live on Twitter so I'll no doubt be up to something that'll be tweeted out on the various handles so just keep an eye on that yeah absolutely yeah we're edging into the closing stages of the season and I'm sure there'll be a lot on the Football Grad Network Manu have you got anything you'd like to plug apart from uh, how you're going to have such a good time this week well I am working here it's like uh what you call it a vocation um sort of you know but um there will be lots of content i'm actually just putting the finishing touches on the saxon derby 
um, preview, which is tomorrow between Dynamo Dresden and Erzgebirge Aue. That article is almost done. It will be done by the time the the podcast is out. So yeah, keep an eye out on that. And then, yeah, general, we have some articles, maybe some stuff coming up ahead of the Classica. So uh, I know Andrew Flint is working on a, on a feature over for footballgrad.com. So there's tons of content that's going to be out uh, throughout the week. So um, all the handles that Chris mentioned, just keep an eye on them. And you can follow me at Manuel Beth. That's it. Head over to at Football Grad live on Twitter and you'll see all the reports, uh, previews and everything else on there. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bryce Dunn 11. Uh, until next week, where we'll be talking plenty about your classicer. It's very, very exciting, isn't it? Oh, it's coming. Um, well, all I can say is I'll feed us in. <laughs>you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.